All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. the Lord and worshiping the Lord and uh, you know how many of you thankful that God has a plan for our children amen I don't know about you but I I am as a as a believer I I am tired of seeing the devil getting a hold of our young people whether it's through drugs through illicit sex or the the culture around us and it's time for the church to arise. Amen? And that's you. That's me. And uh, there's nothing more that the devil wants is to keep the church quiet. Just keep the church in its place. You've heard the old adage, the separation of church and state. Well, they have taken that and, and actually turned it around. And our forefathers intended for the church to have an impact on our government and upon our land. Because how many of you know that America is blessed because God bless America? The blessing of America is not based upon its ingenuity, its intelligence, its smarts, or anything. It's, it's based upon the fact that we had founding fathers. We had justices of the peace. We had politicians one day. In fact, I heard that the very first Congress convened back in 1776 started, if you can believe this, with fasting and prayer. The entire Congress spent three hours on their face in the chamber praying to God. Can you believe that? And today, it's illegal to have a Bible in the classroom. It's illegal to pray. But it's amazing how our country has gone and made such a, a, a wide turn. And, and uh, I, I want to tell you that I believe that we need to get back to the basics. And we need, as America, we need revival in this land. Amen. And God wants to do that. He wants to start that. With you and with me. Amen. I, I praise God for the Billy Grahams and the Benny Hens and all the other great voices God has used throughout the nation and through our, the decades and centuries. But God can only touch a nation when it starts with people where you're at, where I'm at in our home. And so the Lord wants to renew our hearts. I believe today the Holy Spirit is speaking. And, and as we celebrate Easter today, Easter Sunday is not just some historical fact, but it's a revelation of something that is alive and well and is working in the here and now. So I want us to bow our heads as I come to the Word this morning for a few minutes. I, I want to speak to you on radical resurrection. Radical resurrection. Father, we thank you for the power of your presence this morning. And well, Lord, we know that things are not finished yet. We know that there's, there's things that you want to reveal to us. We know that there's, there's a prophetic uh, revelation that you want to give to us this morning. And I, I, my prayer, Lord, that, that as we hear the word, that our, our ears would be receptive and our, 
our, our minds would be clear. Right, right now, I bind every lie and every attempt of the enemy to hinder or distract. I bind the powers of darkness, even right now, that, that might even be speaking to people. I just bind the lie of the enemy in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that the Word may have free course and bring the liberty and transformation that it was intended to, Lord, in our lives. And everyone said, Amen. How many of you know that when you ever got married or wherever you, if you ever planned your family, how many of you, when you made your plans to get married or, or do something, buy a house or whatever you do, all of, all of us, there's, there's an inward desire to succeed. We want to have a strong marriage. We want to have a prosperity on our life. Uh, we want to see our children grow up to be healthy. Uh, we want our children to grow and to, to, to have an understanding and knowledge to be well-rounded, to be balanced. That, that is something that all mankind has because you're created in God's image. And God's plan for your life is to be healthy. God's plan for your life is to prosper you. God's plan for your life is for you not to just get through life and to exist in life, but God intends for you to be fruitful and to be blessed. God's plan for your life is not just to have a marriage, but to have a happy marriage, a successful marriage, the kind of marriage that actually influences people around you, that cause people to ask questions about you. They begin to ask you, why is your marriage lasting and going the distance? How come you guys seem to have a spirit of faith and, and perseverance when all hell breaks out against you? How, how is it that you guys have something? What is it inside of you that makes you tick? Do you know that those kind of questions is what unbelievers should be asking us as believers? Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Amen. Praise God. See, God, God intends for, for your life and my life to be the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and uh, He said that you are also the light of the world. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you are shining so bright today. Amen. Turn to him and say, you're shining, and you're, there's a beauty on you, there's a grace on you. Amen. See, when we talk about Easter, Easter is about resurrection power. And it's not a historical fact. When we talk about Easter... People who understand the power and the purpose of resurrection, we laugh in the face of death. We laugh. We look at problems and rather see it as an uh, a issue, but God intends for us to see and have eyes of opportunity with these things. In other words, our perspective is different. There's something that, that changes when your mind has been renewed by the power of the Word. And, and this morning we're going to look at what resurrection power is doing and what it's working right now. And my prayer is that as we come to, to, to the Word of God this morning, as we look at what Jesus has provided through the cross, and it's more than just getting saved, but it's, it's, it's about the kind of transformation that, that transforms your vision transforms your confession, 
transforms relationships. There, there's something about people who have been raised with Christ. Those who have embraced the knowledge of resurrection. They walk in a new atmosphere. There's an atmosphere they carry. There's an atmosphere of heaven that you carry when you've been born again. There's an atmosphere of honor. There's an atmosphere of grace. There's faith with people. You love people. In fact, God even gives you the power to even love and pray for your enemies. Now, I know that may sound pretty strange in a day today where everyone's fighting and at odds against each other. We got so much issues. We got sexism and racism and all sorts of other isms in our nation. But that's because the gospel is not allowed to work in people's lives for some if there's unbelief. But when Jesus is actually received and the power of the Holy Spirit is allowed to operate in our life, all of a sudden, the atmosphere changes. Your confession changes. You actually can look at people and you're not afraid of people anymore. You're not, you're not afraid of what others do because you know your security and your source is not in things around you, but it's in the Lord. And so when, when we talk about resurrection power, and what Jesus did, it, it wasn't just to wash your sins away. Thank God for that. Thank God He washed our sins and he, he redeemed us from the life and power of destruction and the power of the death and hell and sin. The Bible says in Colossians that Jesus descended at the point of death, went into hell, and it literally says He paraded principalities and powers. If you can imagine this, because Paul uses a Roman victory to illustrate what Jesus did in hell and what they used to do. When, when Rome would come back, Roman soldiers would come back from battle or war, what they would do is they would take the king or an emperor that they defeated and they would put him ahead of the parade. They would strip him completely of his crown, his robes, and they would literally put sackcloth or slave garments around the king they defeated. They would take their princesses and sometimes they would take their families, sons and daughters and that because it was a parade of where they would take the dynasty and they would take all of the glory that that king had. And the, the reigning king would parade the defeated king before them and behind them would be the reigning army that would come behind them <clears throat> with all their jewels and with all their, their stuff that they had plundered from battle. And as they would come through their, their hometown, they would rejoice in the fact that they defeated that king. So Paul uses that example to help us understand what Jesus did in the corridors of hell. In other words, Satan was stripped of all of his power and his authority... And as Jesus was in hell, the Bible says he preached to the captives that from Adam till that point of that time, and he preached the gospel. And if you can imagine, Satan being completely stripped and taken from him was the keys of death. And when Jesus ascended to the Father, that speaks of the sacrifice that was accepted. And when he raised 
Jesus from the dead, He raised you and me from the dead. That's what gives us the right. It gives us the right to stand before God and stand today, even in the company and the body of Christ, we stand clean, we stand washed, we stand accepted in His sight today. And we stand with the Heavenly Father's stamp of approval. But I'll take you to some scriptures that really emphasize the power of resurrection. Amen? Let me tell you something about resurrection. Resurrection means God brings dead things back to life. God's in the business of bringing dead things. There are people that might be alive today, but they're dead. In fact, the Bible says if you are void of salvation, you're void of the Holy Spirit, it says you're dead. A dead man does not respond. They don't talk. They don't feel. They don't understand. And there's a huge wall around them because they're dead. Dead from scripture point of view, means to be without the life of God. Because in the beginning was God, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so when God's not in the picture, guess what? You're dead. And if I'm dead, what that means, if God is the author of life, He's the author of love, if God is the author of everything that makes life work, If I don't have God, guess what? Nothing works. It has nothing to do with religion. Because Jesus, or God, is the creator of the universe. I was created in His image, and I was created to be a temple for His Spirit. And if His Spirit and His Word is not abiding in me, I'm a walking dead man. Everything I do produces death. I've seen people, man, I try so hard. I've worked so hard. I try to get an education. I try to be smart. I try to be good looking. I try to make lots of money. And they're still never at peace. There's no peace because the Prince of Peace is not dwelling in them. You see, salvation is not about me making a decision to get holy and to be a holy roller and join some church. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is being born again from above where Jesus in His Spirit dwells inside of my life where I've come to embrace Him not just as Savior but as Lord and Master of my life. And when He gets in control of my life, what happens is heaven begins to happen. I want to tell you right now, folks, God's not waiting for you to get to heaven. If that was the case, every time we'd have an altar call, I'd have a 357 down here, I'd blow your head off so you can go right to heaven. That's not the purpose to get you saved to go to heaven. No, God's interested in you getting saved so you can be a channel to bring heaven on earth. Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, He believes in you so much because of what His Son has done. He believes in you and He's so proud of you 
That when you begin to receive His Son, you receive a new atmosphere. You receive the power of resurrection. Your language changes. Your vision changes. Your walk changes. Your relation changes. All of a sudden, the habits and the bondage that used to bind you and hold you no longer binds you anymore because heaven dwells inside of you. There's something about... Now listen listen to what Paul or John says in Revelations. Revelations chapter 1. Notice what he says here. Revelations 1. Love this. Revelations 1 verse 4. It says, Grace to you. And peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Everyone say grace and peace. See, when, when, when Jesus is in my life, there's grace. What is that grace? Grace is that, amen, unmerited favor. And when there's favor on you, you know, there's something about your disposition that changes. There's something about your walk, your talk, it changes. Because Jesus, amen, is in charge. He goes on here to say, And from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Now notice what it says here. This is so important. The firstborn from the dead. Really important little word. Everyone say firstborn. That means there's others coming. He's the firstborn from the dead. And if you're born again, that means you have the likeness of your heavenly father. And if you have the likeness, how many here have children? How many of you notice something about children as they look like you? Amen. Some of us would like to deny that or maybe not talk like you, look like, but they do. They take on your likeness just as in the natural, so is the spiritual. When you are born again, there's a likeness. There's something about the likeness of the Father upon you. And you know, one thing about the Father, the Father loves to create. The Father loves to bring life. The Father sees hope, brings love. The Father is always conveying. Amen. Honor. Always conveying honor. Jesus was so good to sinners. In fact, He'd come up to prostitutes and He'd come up to publicans and sinners and tax collectors and He was showed kindness to them. He loved them. He befriended them. He ate with them because He carried heaven with them. Jesus didn't mark them and write them off. Jesus didn't say you need to change your sandals, put on a zoot suit and you need to get religious and understand the rules. That's not what He did. What Jesus did, He changed them from the inside out by the power of love. See, resurrection life is when the revelation of God's love begins to make what He is in you greater than the sin and the curse of your own past. I remember talking to a young man one time. He says, you know, Pastor, I got a problem with lying. I just lie all the time. And I can't stop lying. I said, That's the problem, the, the solution is easy. He said, what's the simple? He says, do I just stop lying? No, it's, it's bigger than just stop lying. What you need to do is you need to come to meet the Prince of Peace and the One who is the way, the truth, and the life. And once you come to find out Jesus and He begins to reveal the greatness 
of who he is inside of you, you no longer have to lie. Because you know what liars are? Liars are people who are so insecure and so afraid of who they are and what they've done or where they've come from. They've got to inflate, the, 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 inflate facts because they're afraid. But once the greatness and the power of his goodness resides in you, you don't have to lie anymore. You know why? Because God produces and births such greatness in you. You don't have to fabricate anything. You don't have to lie anymore because God's greatness and glory and honor rests on you all the time. That's what happens. I I want to say this. that Anytime, you know what the devil does? The devil likes... people to think, you know, if I, if I surrender everything to Jesus, man, I'll tell you, I, 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 there's just too much to give up. Remember one time I had a heroin addict in my office one time and he, he, no, no kidding. He said, pastor, if I, if I become a Christian, do I, do I have to give up my heroin? He says, I, I just need my heroin so much. And I, I looked at this guy and he was, he was a broken man. I said, let me tell you, once you come to know Jesus, You'll want to give up your heroin. See, it's not about what you have to do. Grace gives you the power to want to do it. Grace gives you the desire to do what you couldn't do in your own strength. It's not about what you do. It's not about you cleaning up your act. He's already cleaned up your act. It's about you making a Holy Ghost exchange. It's you giving Him your shame. It's you releasing your condemnation. It's you releasing all of the shame and the sin and the lies of the enemy and begin to say, Father, thank You for Your righteousness. When you begin to say that, well, Pastor, I'm not going to necessarily feel righteous. That's right. You're not going to feel righteous because your mind has not yet been renewed through knowledge knowledge is what transforms your mind. But see, Jesus doesn't wait for you to renew your mind. He's already done it. He's already transformed. How many of you know that you had nothing to do with your own birth? You didn't have a choice on whether you were a boy or a girl. You didn't have a choice whether you're black, white, pink, blue, green. You had no choice. When you were born, you were born. And when you were born, you were born with all the parts that were necessary for you to be a man or to be a woman. And the Bible even says that you're created in God's image. See, resurrection power basically makes you complete. It makes you complete. Now, jump back with me to Revelations here 1. Notice what it says here. And verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. This is Jesus he's speaking about. To him who loved us, everyone say, loved us. And washed us. Everyone say, washed us. He's loved us. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And verse 6 has made us kings and priests. Everyone say kings and priests. Turn to someone and say, you're looking awful kingly today. God wants you to start thinking 
like royalty. See, resurrection life, God's not calling a bunch of sick, weak paupers. He's not calling people who have some form of false humility and poverty who actually take pride in being poor and take pride in in just being with false humility. That, That doesn't bring any glory to God at all for you to walk around and parade how humble and poor you are. That doesn't do anything to the glory of God. God wants your life to shine and to exemplify the kind of honor. God wants you to walk and talk like an overcomer. You are a winner. There's no one like you. There's a beauty on you. There's a power. There's an attraction. You are, there's an attraction. There's a, there's a, you're, you're a walking magnet that, that displays the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And see, one thing that we as the church need to begin to realize is that you're never going to begin to reflect that glory and that beauty until you really begin to believe that you have it in you from Him. Never forget years ago when I was first playing uh, high school football and I had a coach, his name was uh, Brother uh, Sparks. And uh, one of the things he did when, our, when we first got together <clears throat> And our daily doubles in the summertime, we, we were just, he, he got us together as a team. And a lot of us were just thinking about getting out, finding our plays, learning our plays, getting in shape, doing our drills, getting into the game. The first thing that coach did, I'll never forget it. He began to talk to us about having a winner's mindset. Because a lot of us were not thinking like winners. We were defeated Some of us had come out of broken homes and broken families. Many of the guys on my team, I remember, of course, I didn't put it all together at the time, but many of them had come out of broken homes and many of them had not had fathers in their life. Many of them had come out of, 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 of such devastating backgrounds where many of these young people had been called names and been told they were stupid and you're never going to amount to much. Yet they come out to, to somehow find their identity on a football field. And I'll never forget Sparks as he was talking to us guys in that locker room. And he says, listen, guys, it's not so much about the plays you run. It's not so much about just the game or the knowing and understanding the, uh, your weaknesses of your opponent and, and getting on the, on, on, the, on, the, on the game day and on the field. But it's you having the confidence and the understanding that before you go on that field, you've already won. You're already a winner. And no matter what comes your way, there's no problem, there's nothing, no odds that you face that you cannot overcome. If you don't begin to think and recognize what you possess then before you get on that field, you're not going to win. And so here's, here's what Jesus has done. Jesus, being raised from the dead, has prepared for us to literally walk in His victory. We have victory right now. We have victory over sin. We have victory over our past. We have victory over what any father or mother or stepfather, stepmother, whatever anybody has ever said. I am no longer under the label or an identity of what someone has told me or spoke over me. God has broken every generational curse and He has established me as a king and as a priest. Now what do kings think like? 
Kings understand their role. They understand their authority. They understand the fact they have dominion and they have the victory over all the enemy. Kings talk like kings. Kings walk like kings. They think they have a prosperity mindset. Now, I'm not talking about just money in the bank. I know everybody gets hung up on prosperity. That Well, I'm not talking about... Prosperity has nothing to do with what's in your bank account or the neighborhood you live in. The kind of prosperity Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart produces good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil things. The question is, what do you treasure? I was asking that guy who was doing dope. He says, what is the thing you treasure? Heroin. I said, guess what? You have now become an idol worshiper to some substance. It's called idolatry. And that idolatry has reduced you down to where your whole life revolves around the next hit you have. I said, are you happy with yourself? I hate my life. I hate where I'm. This thing is a slave driver. It masters me. I can't think. I can't eat without dope. And I said, would you like to be free? I'd love to be free. I said, okay, it's going to require you having a revelation of how great God is and what he has for your life. He says, well, you mean I don't have to go out and buy a new suit and change my clothes and get ready for church? I said, partner, it's not about you getting ready for church. It's about you learning to let go of the thing that's mastered and is trying to destroy your life. First of all, it's just learning to get real with who you are and where you're at. Are you ready to get real with it? He says, I don't think I can live without it. Yes, you can. See, that's the second lie you believed. The devil's made you think you'll never change. You'll never get free. You can't be happy without it. How many of you know those things are lies from the pit of hell? Anything that comes between you and your salvation and the greatness of what God has for you is a lie. And I have to call it. How many of you believe the church needs to start calling sin for what it is? We need to start calling sin, sin. We need to start calling it what it is. I'm all for God's grace. I'm all for the grace of God and His redemptive power. But one of the things I need to realize is that there's a devil out there. And there's a devil that wants to distract. He wants to kill and steal and destroy. And he wants to ruin my effectiveness. He wants to destroy my family. He wants to destroy my mind. And he wants to take me, bring me into bondage. He wants me out of the house of God. He wants me away from God's presence. He wants me sold out on the things of the world. He wants me more concerned about what my friends think than what he thinks. To the point where all of a sudden I wake up and find myself... In hell, because I refuse to receive what God has for me. Just re- I just refuse to receive the truth of His goodness. Because, folks, it's not about you changing. It's not about you doing anything. It's about you believing and receiving. Amen? My Bible says He's come to, 
He's come to overcome. He's come to do something powerful. Jump with me to John 11. John 11 in your Bible this morning. He's called us kings and priests. That's what resurrection does. Jesus being the firstborn. John chapter 11. uh, Just a few passages. Then I want to go to Colossians. John chapter 11. This this has to do with a a real short story about Jesus coming into Bethany. It says that there was a, a man here who was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, Bethany in the town of Mary and, and her sister Martha. And Mary, who was anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, verse 2, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. And Jesus heard that. Notice what it says. Jesus says the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Everyone say the glory of God. You see, let me tell you, when you're living under resurrection power, when resurrection life is on you, I want you to notice some contrasts here. Mary and Martha was worried about sickness on their brother. Jesus was seeing the glory of God. When you're walking in resurrection power, you're not focused on the negative results. You're focused on what God's going to do through this whole thing. See, that's what resurrection life does. Resurrection life transforms your mind. And when your mind is transformed, you begin to think some pretty radical thoughts. When you become radical, radical means you're not thinking in the way everyone else is thinking. You're going against the grain. When you begin to pray for sick people, they're going to look at you and say, what are you doing here for? This is not the right time. You ought to only pray for people at church. For some people have said, healing's not for today. Healing happened 2,000 years. It's not for today. See, the devil wants to do everything he can to stop the power of God. I'm here to let us know that Jesus heals. Jesus raises the dead. Jesus forgives sin. Jesus transforms families, heals marriages, raises people up for God's glory. God can do something so powerful. But here he comes in to this. It's interesting. When he hears the news from Mary and Martha, Jesus, the Bible says, when he heard that he was sick, Jesus delays his coming. Now, this, this, this sounds a little interesting. It says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. But it's interesting that if you, you read the rest of the Gospels, actually, you'll find that in other cases, Jesus, man, when, when he heard of someone being sick, such as Jairus' daughter or, or uh, the centurion's uh, soldier's servant in Matthew 8, seems like every time Jesus heard of someone sick, he said, I'll, I'll come to your house right now. But in Luke 11, or John 11 here, Jesus delays his coming. In fact, Jesus even lets Lazarus die. Now listen to me. This is called radical resurrection. Sometimes God wants to do something more powerful than what we know he can do. Mary and Martha knew that Jesus could heal the sick. But sometimes God wants to take it up several notches and he wants to show his glory and power in greater ways, which is trying to say something to us. The the, the depth of the problem, the depth of the opposition, the depth and the stress of life that may be facing you is possibly God speaking to you and showing you that he wants to raise something from the dead in your life. 
A powerful, powerful lesson here. Verse 5, And Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and when he heard these things that was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said, Let us now go to Judea. If you come down to verse 14, it says that Jesus said, after Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he said he is sleeping, and they thought, well, Jesus, that's good if he sleeps. He says, no, he's not sleeping, he's really dead, verse 15. Then he says this, I am glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. Jesus is now confronting some people who are offended. I want to tell you something. There's a lot of people that are offended in the body of Christ. There's a lot of people that are hurt. They're disappointed. They're carrying offenses with them. They were really hoping that certain circumstances would work out, but they didn't. And Jesus delays. How many have ever prayed for something and it didn't come through right away? Well, no or delay does not necessarily mean no. We find here that when Jesus comes... He finally comes to Mary and Martha. They're grieving. There's mourners. They've already buried Lazarus. He's been dead, but he's not only dead, his body is rotting. You know what's amazing about God? God likes things to really get dead. There's some times where you think, wow, God, there's no hope. Listen, God will not only let some things die for his glory, but there's some times where God will let things rot. And then he tells us, or has the audacity to tell us, let's go back and remove the stone. How many of you know that we need to learn to remove the things that we've given up on God and given up on things? God says it's time to remove the stone. And it's interesting, Jesus didn't speak to Lazarus until the stone was moved. Some of us have had some things and some hopes and some dreams and we've gone through things and we've suffered and we wondered where the Lord was. And he said, listen, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Satan does not write the final chapter on your life. I've got the keys of death and hell and it's not over till I say it's over. And so when Jesus comes into the situation, everyone is filled with doubt. The Sanhedrin, the body. When you come down here, listen to me, folks. We're going to have a new understanding how to really rejoice when things really start stinking. Everyone say it stinks. All right, jump down here with me. Jump down here with verse verse 38. Jesus himself is groaning. He wept. It was a cave and the stone laid against it. And Jesus said, it's time to take away the stone. Martha said to him, he's dead. Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Wow. Isn't it amazing how at times God will kind of stretch and test our faith. Sometimes we think, wow, it's not just dead. It's rotting. It's really through. I'm here to tell you right now, God's telling us to go back to that place. It's time to remove the stone and let God do some raising from the dead. It's time to go back. It's time to go back. Because see, while here's the difference between people that have faith in those. Mary and Martha, all they saw was a stone. And all they could do was smell the stench 
And all they can do is remember how He died. But Jesus, I love. I want you to see something, what Jesus did here. While they're looking at the grave, notice what it says here. Then they took away, verse 41, the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up His eyes. See, when you're filled with resurrection power, you're not looking at the rot. You're lifting up your eyes. You're lifting up your eyes and saying, Father, thank You for listening to me. I want everyone to say that right now. Father, thank You for listening to me. Jesus, Revelations 1-4 says what? That Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That means He's the first among many. That means God has given you the power to call those things and not as though they are. He's given you the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, bring life to that which is dead. He's called the firstborn among many. What is Easter all about? It's not some historical thing where we just come and bring some donkeys and in a cave on the... So many people do these... Plays and thank God for the plays and the historical demonstrations. But it's, if that message doesn't get down to your real life, where it begins to affect the way you think, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you relate, then Easter means nothing to you. If it doesn't affect your vision, if it doesn't begin to affect the way you see your family, You know one thing that Carol and I did years ago, and it wasn't just on Easter, we began to look at our sons and we began to call them mighty men of God. They weren't mighty. They had problems. Carol and I had problems in our marriage even. We had to walk through a lot of things. But we begin to declare resurrection power. We begin to declare them mighty young men of God. Men with a future. We don't sit there and look at them and, and define them by their failures or what they've not fulfilled in, as far as my expectations. But we begin to look at them through the eyes of Jesus as we begin to lift up our eyes And say, Father, thank you for listening to me. By the way, Lazarus wasn't raised from the dead yet. Jesus was giving thanks to the Father before he raised him from the dead. Have you ever given God thanks for something that you haven't received yet? See, Jesus sets the example. He lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. That's powerful. Do you know that the Father is waiting for you to thank Him before He answers your prayer? Do you know why? Do you know what that does? That eradicates every plan that Satan has. When you begin to give praise and you begin to give thanks to God, Satan's powers are completely broken. He can, Satan cannot work where there's praise and thanksgiving. Jesus begins to thank the Father. And then he gives the command. He said, now I know that you always hear me. Because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Everyone say that with me, would you? Lazarus, come forth. Amen. Some of us need to do that. Dwight, come forth. Vince, Come forth. Paula, come forth. Athea, 
Come forth. It's your year. It's your time. It's your day. It's time to come forth. It's time to come out. And it's time to be loosed from those death grave clothes that has bound us. Some of us this morning, we may not be physically dead, but we've been emotionally, we've been mentally, we've been relationally dead. The vision, the the seed has dropped to the ground and God wants to loosen you from those death clothes that the enemy has wrapped around you, bound you, and He wants to loosen you. He wants you to come out. Amen. Resurrection power is not about just going through some religious thing at church and just having our pictures taken. No, it's about the power of God resting on you. It's about the honor. You know what? You honor the Father. But here's the point. We've got to stand in front of that stone. We've got to go back to that grave where that dead stench is. And we've got to look at it and we, in the face of that stone and that stinky dead body, that dream, that vision, that relationship that's dead, stinking in God. And we've got to give God praise right in the face of it. And say, Father, I'm not looking at that stone. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you, God. You're the source of my strength. You said that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in me, it will quicken my mortal body. Lord, I'm looking at you. I'm not looking at this thing down here. I'm not looking at the stench and the stink and the death that's around me. You called me kings and priests. You said that you're the firstborn among many. And I'm a son and I'm a daughter. Father, I'm looking to you and I'm giving you praise in the face of this death. And I love it when it says Jesus said, come out. Man, I'll tell you, folks, we need to get rowdy around here. Instead of, come out. Now, God's, God's wanting to loose us. Wants to loosen our faith. The Bible says He comes out. And all of a sudden, if you go into the next chapter in the passage, it says this, if you can believe this. The entire city of Jerusalem was turned upside down. In fact, do you know that the week that Jesus came in on Palm Sunday, do you know why they celebrated Palm Sunday when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem? Because Lazarus had been raised from the dead two weeks before. That's why they were calling him son of David, the Messiah, king of the Jews. That's why they were rejoicing, because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Now think of this. The Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders were so upset, they plotted to try to kill Lazarus and Jesus again. Lazarus again. They wanted to kill Lazarus again. Can you imagine? Jesus raises them from the dead, and they try to kill him again, because they're so jealous. Jump with me, last closing passage, Colossians. I want want to close with five quick things that we need to go away with this morning concerning the power of of resurrection life. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or through empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. In other words, let me tell you, folks, There's things in this world, the Bible says the things of this world work against your faith. There's culture, things around us. But notice what it says, verse 9. For in Him, 
dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And now notice verse 10. I want you to really get this. And you are complete. Everyone say complete. complete. You are complete. He didn't say you're almost complete. He said you're complete. You are completely free. You are completely forgiven. You are completely made righteous and made whole. You are completely favored. You are completely blessed. You are completely empowered and overcoming in this life. You're complete. Everyone say complete. See, that's resurrection. That's a resurrection promise. Now, it does not mean that you're completely mature. The idea in the Greek means it's as a baby that is born. When a baby is born, it has all of its functions. It has all of its bodily parts. It's complete. But it has to grow up. Amen. How many of you know God has given you all your ten fingers, your toes? He's given you a nose and a brain. You got, you got all the things necessary for you to grow. You're complete. You have a DNA that is your heavenly father's. And guess what? You actually have the power because Jesus being the firstborn, you have the same power, the same life. You have the same integrity and honor that Jesus had. You have the same influence because you are complete in him. That's what it says. Who is the head of principality and power. Guess what that means? There is no power in hell. That it can affect me unless I give it that power. Who is the head? Do you know if he's the head, that means you're the head because you're complete in him. God has given you the head. He's given you the authority. Amen. That's what resurrection. Secondly, number verse 11. In him, you're also circumcised. The word circumcision here is a very powerful, made without hands by the putting off of the body of sins. That young heroin addict in my office, I said, do you know that you have been circumcised, not made with hands, but by the operation of God through faith? That means sin shall not have dominion over your body. And you've got to believe that the same spirit that raised Jesus has broken the power of addiction. And you need to declare your freedom and you need to rejoice in it. He says, that that all I got to do? I said, "What? it's not just doing it, it's believing it. You've got to renew your mind. Because Jesus has made you, he's circumcised. That means he has cut off He's cut off the source. He's destroyed the power of sin. Well, pastor, I still feel lust and I still feel the pulls and the drawings of the flesh. That's right. Even while you're in this flesh and bone body, you're still going to be tempted. But I want you to know temptation is not sin. Let me say that again. Temptation is not sin and it's not a sign of weakness. Jesus was without sin and he was still tempted. But without sin. Temptation, actually, is a good sign. It means the devil has to bother you because you threaten him. Have you ever thought of that? You bother him. He's mad at you by the putting off of the sin. Number three, jump down with me, verse 12. Buried with him. Not only are we completed him, circumcised with him, we're buried with him. Being buried simply means this. 
is that Jesus has done such a complete work that your old man has been put away that you don't remember it anymore. To be bar- What do you do with a, a dead corpse? You bury it. You put it out of sight. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, Christians often would actually change their names because of the transformation that had taken place. You see, God wants you to understand that He's given you a new name, a new future. You have new character. You have a new life. He, you've been buried with Him. That means that old man, the old ideas, the old thoughts, the old mouth, the old thinking, the weak thinking, the, the negative thinking, it's been buried and I'm not going to allow those things to come back and haunt me anymore. Not going to let it. I'm a new man. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Number four, in Him we've been baptized in which you were also raised. Everyone say raised with Him. Number four, resurrection. What does that mean? That means God has seated you with Him in places of beauty and authority, raised. That means He's raised you up. It means He's actually placed you in a place of prominence and even exaltation. Now, we're not exalted in ourselves, but Jesus has glorified Himself in you. He's exalted Himself in you. And every time you choose to serve or to love or to forgive or to declare life over others, you are actually allowing Jesus to be glorified in you. You see, you've been raised. That means you're not a victim anymore. It means you're not a problem. You're victorious. And notice what it says. The last one, and you have been, and you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. The last thing, he's made you alive. You're alive. And you know what people that are living do? Amen. They relate, they love, they speak life, they speak honor, they become like Jesus. Amen. And that's what, that's what resurrection is. I, I love finishing this out because Paul is making it so clear to the church at Colossia. He says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed all of those requirements to the cross, disarmed principalities and powers, has made a public spectacle of them. He has stripped them, triumphing over them, in it. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. Jesus, raised from the dead, has raised you from the dead. In other words, I am no longer a victim of sin. I'm no longer a victim of any bad characteristic issues in my life. Talking to a guy not too long ago said, Pastor, I got a problem with anger in my life. I said, Guess what? When you get your eyes on the loving kindness of your Father, who loves you, who has endless mercy, your anger will begin to dissipate because you're going to begin to realize how he's translated you out of darkness. You see, angry people are people who feel victimized. Angry people feel that they've been ripped off. Angry people who have been offended because they feel hurt, 
They feel dejected. They feel there's been an injustice somehow in their life. And what they need to do is they need to get their eyes on what Jesus has accomplished for them. Because it's only then can you be free from the hate, the anger, the attitudes, the issues. And God begins to transform your life. You blossom. You grow. You begin to reflect. And that beauty begins to flow out of your life. That's what Jesus has done for us today. Amen. So bow your heads for just a minute. I want to ask you this question. Has Jesus become alive in my life? On this Easter, have I been raised? <clears throat> Jesus has raised me, but have I, <clears throat> have I embraced what He's done through the cross? Have I embraced that born-again experience? Has resurrection power transformed my spirit and my mind? Have I allowed Jesus in my life to do that work of restoration and healing and renewing? Do I see myself complete or incomplete? Do I see myself as a shallow, broken individual? Or do I see myself as far as what Jesus has fulfilled and created and accomplished for me at the cross? Maybe you may say, you know, Pastor, I I just feel that there's so much that has been in my life, and I know I've come short. I know I've been disobedient. I know there's been issues in my life that have had dominion over my life, and I I feel like I've become a slave to some things that I I can't be free from. And I I, I want the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to receive by faith what Jesus has accomplished. I want to come into that new life, that new created life this morning. I need that. If that's you, I want to... I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Okay, I see that hand. Anyone else? Just say, Pastor, I see your hand, man. I, I, I know God has something so more. Maybe you have felt like you've been a victim. Been a victim in your life. and You may feel like you've been Lazarus in the grave. and There's been such corruption. There's been such death. And you feel like the stone has covered your life and you want to come out of that thing this morning. You want to come out like Lazarus. You want to come out raised. You want Jesus glorified. You know you need a fresh start. You know that he's provided that. And you want to come into the revelation of a renewed mind and what it is for Jesus to be glorified in you. I want to tell you right now, God is going to make history makers out of you. He's going to use what the devil meant for evil, turn it around, raise you up, give you a testimony, and your life is going to be marked, amen, no longer by the slaughterhouse of what the enemy has done, but your life is going to be marked by the victory and the promises that God has fulfilled in your life. You are not defeated. You are not a victim. This morning, I just sensed this morning, God's here to break generational curses. Some of us have lived under the lie of the enemy. The devil's pounded you down. He's demented you. He's oppressed you with lies. Even through others that loved you, people that loved you. They've said things that have destroyed and hurt you. But Jesus has come to break the power of that lie. And to let you know that you're a daughter. You're a son of the king. You're a king. You're a priest. He's raised you up, seated you in a place of dominion and authority this morning. You are not sold out. He's not given up on you. He's come to open and speak to you to come out of the grave today. It's for you today. And I really sense not only is God going to restore you spiritually, but He's going to heal you emotionally. 
He's going to heal your emotions. Some of us have been so just bound in our emotions and our heart. Jesus wants to bind up. He wants to bind up. He wants to restore and heal what the enemy meant for evil. He's come to cleanse you, wash you, renew you, embrace you as a daughter and let you know that you are his and the enemy, Satan, will never touch you again. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we? Bill, could you raise the music up a little bit, please? I just feel that Billy, the anointing is here. The power of God is here to heal. Everybody looking at me, would you? Just, just look back here. The power of the Holy Spirit is here to heal. To heal not only spirit, not only body, but soul. It's here to heal broken hearts. Some of us have been bound in the cave like Lazarus. You've been sick, nigh unto death, and God's here to break out, bring resurrection to you this morning. If you'd like to be prayed for, we want you to come down. We want to, I want to anoint you with oil. We're going to bind the powers of the enemy this morning. Some of us need to make a bold new confession for the future. Some of us need to say, you know what? As for me and my house, it's time to serve God. It's time for me to serve the Lord. It's time for me to experience the power of resurrection in my own leadership. Some of us, maybe even as some men, some of you guys, I need some resurrection in my leadership. I've let my leadership go. I want you to come down if that's you this morning. Just, I need some resurrection power in my leadership this morning you just come down in jesus name just let the holy spirit wash over us this morning amen guys i want you to lift your hands just lift your hands father we just thank you that there's healing in the name of jesus there's cleansing in the name of jesus lord you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light father we We thank you, Lord, that you raised us from the dead. You've raised us, O Lord, from apathy and sin. And you've raised us, O Lord, from the shallowness of just religious Christianity into a fervent favor of God. Lord, we ask you today to raise us, Lord. Raise us for your glory. Raise us, Lord, for your purpose, Lord, this morning. Father, we ask you, Lord, that Easter 2015 will mark a transformation, a transition in our life where we move from darkness to light, from death to life, from weakness to strength. Lord, we thank you that there's power in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Turn to someone, give them a hug this morning. Go in the power of Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.